you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We're so pleased to welcome back to Air Talk, which has been a, a weekly home for him here as one of our terrific core of medical experts, Dr. Dean Blumberg, UC Davis Children's Hospital, where he's chief of pediatric infectious diseases. He's also professor of medicine at UC Davis. Dr. Blumberg, uh, wonderful to have you back with us. Hope you had a nice weekend. Yeah, I did have a nice weekend. I wanted to ask you about uh, BA2 because we keep getting the warning, well, we could see an increase in cases, if not a full-blown surge, that hospitalizations could go back up as a result of of the greater ability of BA2 to spread. What do you think the prospects are for that happening here in California? Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, it's about 30 to 80 percent more transmissible than the uh, original Omicron strain. And so that's of concern. And it's been increasing as a proportion of the transmitted strains. So the CDC reports that it now accounts for more than 70 percent of circulating strains. And where we've seen this hit before in Europe, in the UK, and other areas, we have seen a surge in cases. And it seems like those surges tend to travel from the east to the west. So those are very concerning to me, much more concerning, for example, than the increase in cases that they're seeing in, in, in China and Shanghai and, and elsewhere. Um, it seems to be that those don't affect us much. They're not as predictive of, of a surge here. Well, who in California is left to get COVID? I mean, we had such a big surge with Omicron. Um, once you factor in people that have been vaccinated and boosted and people who've had COVID, it, is there a significant portion of the population particularly vulnerable? Well, I think people have been vaccinated and boosted, and so we do have partial immunity. Um, but even with the surge that occurred that peaked in January, that immunity from that is felt to last about three or four months. And so we could be due for another surge starting um, this month or next month. And hopefully that partial immunity that people have from being vaccinated or from previous infection, that'll result in these cases being mild, being an outpatient disease, and hopefully it won't result in a surge of hospital admissions or deaths. 
Friday afternoon, I got my second booster of the Moderna vaccine because it had been five and a half months since I, I got my initial booster. And I know, you know, people are making up their own decision about um, whether they think the timing is right for them or whether they want to do that or not. What are you advising people on on making that decision as to whether to get a second booster or not, provided they're 50 and over? Yeah, you know, it, it is an interesting question. Um, you know, the data isn't entirely clear to me about the benefits of that booster. We've got the one study from Israel that resulted in a more than 70% decreased risk of hospitalization and death in those over 60 years of age. Um, but we've got other studies that show only a modest immune, immune response to that second booster dose. And so I'm still waiting to see more data that's presented to the FDA and to the CDC on that. In the meantime, what I would suggest is people take into account their individual risk tolerance as well as their individual um, circumstances. So for example, if you're going to be traveling to an area of the world where we know that there's more um, circulation and you're gonna have increased contact with people and it's been um, uh, a, a more than five months since your last dose, then go ahead and get that booster um, done. Whereas people who may not have um, uh, increased risk for transmission and don't have any underlying um, conditions resulting in uh, risks for severe disease, they might want to wait to see um, and try to optimize that next dose until the next, um, until there's an increase in cases. I'm really concerned about vaccine fatigue, that people are just going to get tired of getting these, these booster doses. Jackie in South Pasadena says, we've heard you can mix and match mRNA vaccines, but should you? What is the latest research on that? Yeah, the studies suggest that mixing and matching results in an enhanced immune response, but you know, it's, it's complicated because there does seem to be a better immune response with the Moderna vaccine compared to the Pfizer vaccine. And the response is really excellent no matter which mRNA vaccine you get. So I, I, I wouldn't try to fine tune that. I would just get whichever one is available, although the CDC continues to um, recommend um, sticking with the one that you got previously. I, I don't think it's that important. Isabella in Santa Monica asks, um, do we know if there's going to be a vaccine tailored to the Omicron variant available soon? Certainly both Moderna and Pfizer have um, clinical studies in progress that have updated the vaccines to use the spike protein from the Omicron variant. Um, so if this is needed, um, that should be readily available. The CDC has a meeting later this week with the FDA, um, and they will be discussing um, considerations for booster doses to get more of a big picture um, about should the vaccine be updated, what are the criteria, um, and, and really get a better idea of when, when we're going to have a routine booster schedule. We've gotten several questions in that are highly specific, that have a lot of moving parts to them, and are questions about um, what listeners should do. And I just want to say, you know, we can't take those. They're just too specific to your circumstance. It's best to talk with your doctor to get an answer for that. Uh, we're so pleased to have uh, Dr. Blumberg with 
with us, but we really need the questions to be more generalized, where they would relate to a broader section of our audience and and aren't highly specific, more personalized sorts of recommendations. Uh, Barbara in Claremont says, I'm fully back vaccinated and boosted, and I'm leaving uh, on a plane trip in a few days. And I was wondering, should I try and get the shot before I go, or should I wait until I return in three weeks? Does it even matter? Yeah, you know, being the, the travel, just the process of traveling, regardless of where you're traveling to, that's going to increase your risk of exposure. You're not going to be able to social distance in many areas in the airport. People don't seem to social distance in the TSA line, for example. Um, and then certainly on the plane, you won't be able to do that. And people will take off their masks to eat and drink on the plane. So that's going to have an increased risk for transmission. And I would recommend, depending on your circumstances, to strongly consider getting that second booster before travel. What are the things that we should be doing in terms of research to prepare for the next uh, pandemic that might be coming our way? Is it, I mean, is it possible for us, since we don't know what it's going to be, to prepare for it? I think there's a couple of things that we can do that I would emphasize doing. One is uh, surveillance networks. And there are some surveillance networks that have been in place before that have um, had inadequate funding that looks for the emergence of these variants and, and these viruses in the wild um, so that we can get a, a heads up on it by detecting them in the animal hosts before they jump to humans. Um, and so I think that's very useful. And then the second thing is to develop um, the vaccines, the vaccine platforms, for example, that we already had in place so that we could rapidly get the vaccines for, um, for COVID developed. And that was based on work that was done with the original SARS um, and with, with MERS, with the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, which are related, um, as well as the technology for the mRNA vaccines that was developed just to be in place in case there was an outbreak. So I think those efforts can be strengthened too. We haven't had a, a, a pandemic of a, a coronavirus like this since the 1918 flu, so essentially a century ago. Did we just luck out going that long without the arrival of COVID-19? Uh, or is there some reason why it would be so long? And, and does that mean we might have another 100 years before the next big coronavirus hits so much of the world? Well, it'd be very hard to predict. So I think it is relatively random. That being said, the odds are going to increase that we're going to have more pandemics. And that's because we know that with um, global migration patterns, as well as um, growth of the population, that we are having increased contact between um, humans and wildlife. And then, and then because of um, uh, climate change also, that's going to accelerate the chances of, of having these new strains develop and, and pandemics occurring. So I think, I think we're going to have, the chances are there's going to be more pandemics in our future. Uh, Mark in Santa Monica says, what's the verdict on monoclonal antibodies? I qualified for them during a recent bout of COVID, but didn't end up getting it. Uh, are they effective against the latest variants? Yeah, that's, um, you know, the, the monoclonal antibodies basically have, have looked at the variants as, as moving targets. And so it can be very difficult. And so with some of the new variants, the monoclonal antibodies don't work quite as well 
And so the FDA has had to make them work better by adjusting the doses, basically doubling the dose of the monoclonal antibodies, and that restores the effectiveness. And then depending on the strain, different monoclonal antibodies may or may not be effective. So that's something that we really need to keep an eye on. But I, you know, currently, yeah, there are two monoclonal antibody um, preparations that should work. And then the Evushield, the um, long-term um, antibody that is recommended for those who may not respond well to vaccine, that one um, still should work well. And so I would continue to um, contact your healthcare provider if you are positive and if you're eligible for those. And just finally, some good news, because we like to celebrate positive developments with COVID-19. Nursing home deaths at the lowest point since the pandemic's commencement. And um, that's really that's really good to know, doc, uh, doctor. And um, hopefully that will continue a downward trend. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that the several nursing homes have really made excellent efforts to vaccinate the staff as well as the residents um, and really instituted um, really excellent programs for social distancing at the height of the pandemic. And it's great that they're able to now return to common community activities. Dr. Dean Blumberg, UC Davis Children's Hospital, where he's professor of medicine and chief of pediatric infectious disease. Dr. Blumberg, thank you very much as always. Wonderful to have you with us. Have a great week. Thank you. Have a great week, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.